Let's go ahead and pray. God, we are uh, we're just thankful for this privilege to, to get to come together so regularly and open up your word. We pray that, um, that your Holy Spirit would just breathe life into our hearts, that our ears and our eyes would come alive with an understanding of what you're trying to say to us tonight. I pray that you would be glorified above all else, that we would give you the first place in our hearts, and uh, that you'd be exalted. Pray that you'd speak to each and every one of us right now, and that you would have your way with us in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're going through the Bible in a year. And the last week's reading took us from Proverbs 29 through Isaiah chapter 7. And um, next week's reading is going to take us from Isaiah chapter 8 through Isaiah chapter 38. And so we're getting into um, the major prophets which would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, and Ezekiel. And then we'll get into the minor prophets after that, and then we'll be in the New Testament. Um, So it's going to be really a very cool portion of the Old Testament that we're coming into. Um, It's sometimes underappreciated and sometimes a little bit challenging to read, but that doesn't uh, make it any less the Word of God, and really it doesn't make it any less relevant to our hearts today. So, uh, so don't get bogged down if you're reading Isaiah and it feels a little, you know, like you're slogging through. Because um, you might be slogging through. You know, sometimes there's discipline in reading the Word. And that's okay. Um, but there's, there's richness in there too. So, but anyways, uh, this week um, was kind of a heck of a chunk to read. Um, you know, I'm always looking ahead at like what I could teach. And I was like, well... Song of Solomon is out pretty much right off the bat, right? Um, like, if I taught Song of Solomon, it would really just be to make you guys all sweat. Because that, like, that, that's the most any of us would get of it, is I wonder what exactly he's going to say. Because, you know, because I'm pretty positive that at least some of you guys, you come and you like listening to me teach, maybe. But you're always just kind of nervous, right? Uh, and so that's, that would have just been no good. Uh, Proverbs 31 would have pretty much been out for the same reasons. Um, Ecclesiastes is always a bit of a challenge for me to read, and, and, so, and Isaiah is, you know, can be challenging in its own right. So I was looking at, you know, what was I going to teach, and was like, okay, well, if the Lord would make it obvious, that'd be fantastic. And as I was reading and praying about it, um, Seems like the Lord just kind of drew my heart to where we're going to be tonight. And so um, I think he wants to kind of catch our attention with this, and, and I'm looking forward to it. So, um, so we are actually going to start out in Ecclesiastes tonight. And Ecclesiastes, you know, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, they're sometimes called wisdom literature. Um, they're the, you know, the writings and sayings of the Scripture that are written down as kind of thoughts. And... Um, they're both generally written by Solomon, but they're written at different points in his life. And if you remember the history of Solomon, Solomon started out really serving the Lord, really striving pretty aggressively after the Lord, and then he tapered off pretty dramatically and, you know, really fell away. And um, and you could argue whether or not he was restored at the end, maybe, maybe not. Um, but... But there's just a lot of loss in Solomon's story. And interestingly, Proverbs, a lot of it would seem to be written kind of before that era, 
And Ecclesiastes is most likely written after that. So Ecclesiastes is written towards the end of his life. And so we're going to see uh, Solomon giving us some of his thoughts on life. And, you know, um, we'll get into it at the very end of the book. But you could look at it and say, well, maybe he's saying this is what I used to think. And maybe he's explaining some stuff. But honestly, Ecclesiastes is just a hard book to read. Uh, I think it's probably the... I think it's probably the hardest book in the Bible to really apply because, you know, even in the book of Job, at the very end, God shows up and gives us his commentary and says, here's what I think about this book. And so it's easier for us to then say, oh, okay, you know, the last 40 chapters were kind of rough for God to listen to as well, right? And it's like, okay, now we've, you know, okay, I can, I feel better, right? But Ecclesiastes doesn't really give us any of that. And there's a lot of stuff that's just in there, and we're looking at it, and it's like, okay, this looks okay, and this looks kind of out there, right? And, and as I've been praying about it, I think the Lord has it such, in a really cool way, that uh, I think Ecclesiastes ties in beautifully with the book of Colossians. Because Colossians chapter 2 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception. We've been talking about this the last couple weeks. Right? That if our focus is on Jesus Christ, then the philosophy of the world, the logic of the world, should really not be an, an appeal to us. It shouldn't have that draw if our focus is on Jesus Christ. And Solomon is the tragic story of a guy who lost that focus, who really let himself start to look around and say, well, what does the world have to offer? And, um, and Solomon is really unique. Uh, among really world history because Solomon is that one guy who couldn't say, you know, if I would have tried a little more stuff, it might have it satisfied, right? Solomon couldn't say, you know, I mean, a lot of us could say, you know, if we had some more money, we could really do some stuff, right? Like, you know, we could, you know, we'd have stuff, Right? Well, Solomon couldn't really say, you know, if I had any more money. I mean, Solomon, by the end of his life, he's making golden shields, which is basically golden frisbees, right? Like, because he just, you know, you got to do something with all that gold, so let's make frisbees. I mean, you don't need any more money at that point, right? Solomon, at the end of his wife, life, has a thousand women in his harem, right? He can't really ever be that guy who says, you know, I just married the wrong one, and if I had another shot, if I could do it over again, I would have picked the right one back in high school, right? Solomon couldn't say that because he tried them all. And he, you know, he, Solomon couldn't say, you know, if I had a little more respect, because um, he was like the most respected man in the world. He couldn't say, you know, if I would have just, if I would have had a little bit of a better education, I really could have had a better shot at life. Um, because Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He was one of the most knowledgeable men who ever lived, right? Solomon really did have it all. But he gets into this empty philosophy in this deception. And we read Ecclesiastes and we're like, where's all the wisdom? Right? Like, I know this guy's wise, but what he's writing here is contradicting itself all over the place. And so, um, you know, in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that's been done under heaven. It's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I've seen all the work which has been done under the sun, and behold, it all is vanity. 
and it's striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. He says, you know what, I've tried wisdom. Wisdom, really, it's just, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And in chapter 2, he says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it was futility. I said of laughter, it's madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. Solomon did like studies on how drunk can you get and still be competent, right? I mean, Solomon's trying out how far, how far can I take pleasure and wisdom? Um, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. And I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And I also collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. And I provided for myself male and female singers and many concubines. So Solomon says, you know, my wisdom really just, eh, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. He says, my wealth, I tried it all. And I said, of laughter, it's madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? Solomon says, I tried pleasure. And I tried it hard. And no, it really didn't do too much for me. Um, and... You know, so he's tried wealth, he's tried pleasure, he's tried wisdom. Um, chapter 3, he gives, in verse 12, he gives us this thing. He says, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. And moreover, that every man who eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which has been already, and that which will be, has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. He says, you know, um, he says, well, God does remain forever. And we could say, yeah, that's true. Right? So he's got a decent line in there, but he backs, he sticks it, you know, he kind of bookends it. He's like, that which has been is that which is going to be history. It's just this big one cycle that repeats itself over and over and just perpetuates forever. And we say, wait a second, that's not actually true. Right? That's actually, that's Solomon right there. That's really pretty closely tied to like Eastern philosophy and some of, um, some of the early roots of Hinduism right there. Okay, Solomon's making some really whacked out statements. Um, he says in another spot, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. He's like, you know, have a good time. Tell yourself that it's all good. Other places he says, you know, you should discipline yourself. Solomon is like, he can't, he cannot come down on what the purpose of life is here. And, um, and you know, and to his credit, okay, I mean, and to be fair, in the very last two verses, he says, uh, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment and everything evil, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So to his credit, at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, you know, the, the summary of all my mistakes is to fear God. Now, he says it. We don't know if he lived it or not, right? We, we don't know what Solomon did at the end of his life. But he was able to recognize, I, I wasted huge chunk. But Solomon's the wisest man on earth. And the wisest man on earth, as he's looking at, you know, this philosophy of the world, and he's looking at all this deception, he is, 
he's really making zero sense, right? I mean, Solomon just makes, I mean, it's just an awful argument. He's contradicting himself. He can't agree with himself. He says, you know, he's got this idea that, ideas that are just totally uh, contrary to the rest of Scripture, right? But he's the wisest man on earth. So it's like he can end the book well, but along the way he can't use his wisdom to any kind of really profitable end. It's like he has this thing and he can't do anything with it, right? It's, it's a wasted gift in some ways because Solomon isn't applying it correctly. So that's Solomon, right? That's the wisest man who ever lived. That's really the richest man who ever lived. Um, if you, yeah, anyways, that's the richest man who ever lived. Um, it's one of the most powerful men who ever lived, one of the most respected men who ever lived. I mean, Solomon really did have it all. But flip over back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Um, and we're going to read the one portion that's written by a guy who, presumably, as far as we know, is not Solomon. And in chapter 30, uh, starts off, says, The words of Agur, the son of Jaka, the oracle. Rich Mullins once said, Agur is one of the only guys, Agur is one of these guys who had the privilege of having a name he could actually say was ugly. He said, most of us don't like our names, kind of like we don't like our noses, right? Like we'd change it if we could, but we're okay with it. Agur actually had an ugly name. And so, just thought I'd throw that out there. But um, he starts talking in verse 2, and he says, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and I do not have the understanding of a man. Neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have knowledge of the Holy One. So this guy, Agur, starts off, his opening line, I'm more stupid than any man. It's kind of an interesting way to start off your thoughts, right? Um, he says, I don't even have, I don't have wisdom. I don't have knowledge of God. And what's interesting is right there in that sentence, he's actually acknowledging a truth that puts him in position where he's actually wiser than Solomon. Right? Solomon was offered more wisdom than any other man in the world. But this guy right here says, I don't even understand really anything. And in that acknowledgement, he's wiser than Solomon. Because here's the thing, it takes a certain amount of wisdom to know that you're a fool. It's, it's really the great parody that, the great irony, that a true fool by the very definition, can't understand that he's a fool, right? It takes a certain amount of wisdom to recognize that you're a fool. And it's at that point that you can begin to unbecome a fool. So when this guy says, I'm more stupid than any man, and I don't have the wisdom even of a man, he's, he's recognizing something. He's grasping onto something. And this is what I want us to, to notice here tonight He's got his eyes on something, and he's, he's caught a glimpse that has made him realize how little he knows. Somebody said, the more you learn, the less you know, and that's really very true, right? I mean, our world is, is so full of stuff, right? I mean, people devote their entire lives to super minuscule things, right? Like, you can be uh, a molecular biologist, for crying out loud. Right? That, like you can spend your entire career looking at cells, 
and how cells go together. Now, if you want to do that, that's great, whatever. But you can spend your entire life being a mechanical engineer and studying not cells, but what happens when I take the laws of physics and stress them with different materials and assemble them into buildings. Or you can spend your entire career being an architect and saying, I wonder if I could design with a little bit of my knowledge of you know, what the mechanical engineer knows, and, and I wonder if I could build something that would actually stand and last, right? You could spend your entire lifetime, I mean, whatever, being a painter and saying, no, I really, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to study anything. Um, I just want to, um, I want to mess, I want to look at color and how does, you know, playing with color change the human emotion and I can, you know, impact somebody's mood by sticking red paint on a white cloth instead of sticking more blue paint on a white cloth. I can change the way somebody's going to feel, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's a whole field of study in and of itself that really has nothing to do with molecules and has nothing to do with physics, right? It's this whole subconscious thing. You could say, I want to get into literature. I don't wanna, and you can devote an entire career. I once, I once took a writing course from a lady who specialized in, what was this? It was like 12th century British literature. Like, I just want to understand the books that they were writing in 1100 AD in England. Because we all need to know, right? Like that's, you know, that's that's where profound wisdom is to be found, right? But like, she was devoting a career to that. I was like, well, more power to you, but I'd like to do a little more in that with my life, right? I mean, you can, you can. I mean, there's so much in the world, right? It's we live in a world that has more knowledge than we know what to do with, and so we can have, we can delude ourselves into, you know, if we just look at our field or our area of expertise, and that which is even in and of itself really a dumb statement, right? Nobody has an area of expertise. Some of us have areas of less inexpertise than others, right? But really, with the amount of stuff that's in the world, nobody's an expert, right? We're all, we're all completely guessing. Um, but, but we can delude ourselves into thinking, you know, I'm kind of on top of it here. Right? I kind of, I've got a little bit of a grasp here. I've had some, I've been doing this for a little while. You know, I, I know how things are going to shake out here. But it's in that moment when a girl catches sight of something bigger, all of a sudden he says, whoa, I don't know anything. Right? So what is he, what is he catching sight of? So he's had his eyes opened to something big. Right? He's got now, for, 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 for whatever reason, this guy, Agur, is very aware that he doesn't know anything. And what's he, say, what's he say after that in verse 4? He says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. He's like, Look, I don't know. Maybe you know. Right? I don't know anything. But I don't know anything. He said, like, I don't know anything about God. I don't know. Do you think maybe like, I mean, he says, you know, he's, what he's saying more or less is, you know, if God could somehow like cross the divide between God and humanity or establish the earth, if, you know, if God could be like creator and somehow connect God and humanity all at the same time, That'd be great, but I don't know how that happens. I'm not God, right? Well, what, who is, what's he talking about? Who's he talking about, right? A girl's got his eyes on something. 
He's got his eyes on Psalm 1, right? In, in today's reading, Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 6, I think. Um, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. And Isaiah saw the Lord. And what did Isaiah say? He said, woe is me. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, right? Isaiah saw the Lord and said, he says, woe is me for I am ruined. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, I'm out of my league right now, big time, right? Why? Because he saw the Lord. Agur has got his eyes on something. And in this moment, I want us to catch this. Agur, he's acknowledging that he is more stupid than any man. And in that acknowledgement, he is be being wiser than the wisest man who ever lived. Right? The man who could say, you know what? I tried wisdom. It doesn't work. I tried pleasure. It doesn't work. Uh, it's really better just to be a miscarriage because you won't exist. That's really probably the best situation in life. I mean, that's what Solomon says. Right? Agur, right in this moment, has more wisdom than that. So, but I want us to notice this. He's got his eyes on someone. And Agur says, who has ascended into heaven or who's descended? Right? Who is... Who is capable of crossing that divide? A guru recognizes there's a divide, right? There's a break between God and man. And he says, you know, on my end, I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I'm more stupid than any man, but I'm at least smart enough to recognize there's a divide. And I can't cross it. So who crosses it? Right? Do you know? Do you know? He's asking us. So we can answer, right? Do you know? Who ascended into heaven? Who descended? down to earth, right? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who's established all the ends of the earth? Right? Do you know? Do you know his name? Do you know his son's name? Right? Who is it? It's Jesus Christ, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Right? He was in the beginning with the father. Agur has got his eyes on someone and that someone is Jesus Christ. Now here's, here's where it all connects a little bit, all right? Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, I think. Paul is talking about the character of Jesus Christ. And in verse 3 he says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Agur says, I'm more stupid than any man. I don't understand God, but I understand that God has to be able to, to somehow cross that divide, right? To ascend and descend, right? And that's got to be where wisdom is found. And Paul says, you know what? In Jesus Christ are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. When God, when Jacob has the vision of the latter, and the angels are going up and down, right? Later on, we're told Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the one, right? By Jesus is the one who ascends, the one who descended, who has ascended. He's the one who's going to descend again and ascend again, right? So a girl recognizes he needs wisdom. And the wisdom that he recognizes that he needs is Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ is all the fullness of wisdom 
and power. So here's the great thing. None of us are ever going to be as wise as Solomon. It's just... It's just not. God, God told Solomon, he said, no, I'm going to give you, I'm going to offer you wisdom on a level that no human being will ever have. Right? And he said that. So none of us are going to ever have the wisdom of Solomon. Odds are none of us will ever have the intellect of Solomon. No offense. I'm pretty positive none of us will ever have the wealth of Solomon. Right? I mean, maybe if you like, came up with a really cool app that you could sell. But, um, but no, none of us are ever going to have the wealth of Solomon, right? None of us are ever going to have the opportunities to fulfill our own pleasures the way Solomon did. But you know what? All of us have the opportunity to catch that same glimpse of God that Agur caught. All of us have given, been given access to the wisdom that says, you know what? I am more stupid than anybody else. And I am just stupid enough to recognize that I need a God who is wise enough to cover that. Right? I'm just foolish enough to recognize how desperately I need a God who can cover me in his righteousness. Because if he looks at my foolishness, I'm going to be like Isaiah, and I'm going to have to say, woe is me, for I am ruined. Right? None of us are ever going to attain to what Solomon had. But all of us have every privilege that Agur stepped into. Agur stepped into it and walked into it. And he proceeds to then offer us wisdom. Real wisdom. Right? So all of us have the same access to that kind of wisdom. And, you know, so it's... It's not about how smart we are. It's about knowing the Lord. And it's about knowing the Word. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 24, verse 23, I'm sorry, says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Solomon was a wise man who boasted in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Solomon was a mighty man who boasted in his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Solomon was a rich man who boasted in his riches. Verse 24, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So the Lord doesn't give a rip whether you're rich or wise or strong or not. He really doesn't. But what he wants to see is if you and I can glory in this one thing. Can we boast? Can we rejoice? Can we exalt in this thing that we understand and know him? Right? Agur said, what is his name or what is his son's name? We can answer both of those questions. Right? I am Yahweh God, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. 
right? The coming king, the victorious one, the lamb, the suffering servant, right? Agur said, what's his name? What's his son's name? And we get to answer it. And we don't have to boast in our strength. We don't have to boast in our might or our wealth or anything else. But we get the privilege of glorying in knowing the Lord. So for each and every one of us, that door stands wide open. Right? That's a, that's a, that's a gift that, you know, really is, I mean, you can, you want to spend your lifetime unpacking knowledge, Right? That's a lot better than 12th century British literature, right? You can spend your lifetime unpacking that one, right? And the great part, the amazing part is that if, as you spend your lifetime unpacking that, the Lord will open up your ability to receive it, right? The Lord sometimes works in backwards physics, right? As you, as you pour water into a jug, what happens? The jug fills up, right? Well, the way the Lord does it, likes to do it, is as you pour water in the jug, the jug gets bigger. Right? And the more water you pour in, the bigger the jug gets. The faster you pour, the faster the jug expands. So the Lord likes to set up this whole reverse physics system where the more we study Him, it's like all of a sudden, it's not that we, it's not even necessarily that we understand Him more, although we sort of do. It's, because, it's not because we learned more, it's because our ability to comprehend is growing. Right? So, if we're going to glory in something, we can glory in the fact that we know the Lord and that we are still on that process. Right? Um, C.S. Lewis said, it's kind of like an onion. Like, there's all these layers. But the difference is, the further you go in, the bigger the layers get. Right? The more we understand, the bigger we realize He is. The more real He is. The more, the more our eyes get open. Right? The more awesome it gets. Right? That's exciting. That's really exciting. I'm 24 years old. I might have like 50 years of getting to have my vision expanded. Right? I want to milk them. Right? I want to max them out. Some of you aren't going to have 50 years. But you've got a lot of time. Right? Because you've got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the breath of God. The breath of God that moved across the waters and spoke light into being is in your heart, ready to blow your mind with who He is. Right? So, I'm not Solomon, and you're not Solomon. But I can be an awful lot like a girl. Right? We all get that privilege. And the Lord is opening it up to each and every one of us. So don't sell yourself short, right? Don't sell the Word of God short. Live like it has something to say to you. Because, newsflash, it does, right? The Lord wants to speak to us. And He is excited about the privilege of speaking to us if we are willing to listen. So, the Word of God is living and active. Don't, don't ever underestimate it, right? Don't, don't forget how real it is and watch God do amazing things in your life through it. Lord, 
we are amazed by your word. We're, we're honestly just, we're in awe of just how incredibly uh, you worked to put it together and give it to us as your gift. We pray that, that we would receive that gift, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't let this life distract us from all the riches of your word, that we would just find ourselves constantly in awe of it. I pray that you would help us to dig deeply, to come to it expectantly. I pray that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Just open us up to receive more and more of who you are, God. We want to understand the height and depth and width and length of the love of Christ. We want to understand what Paul meant when he talked about you on such a personal level. We want to, we want to grasp what it means when Peter says that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. God, I pray that your word would speak to us, that you would be glorified in our lives. I pray that you would have your way with us, uh, that your kingdom would be exalted in our hearts, and that you would be magnified. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray. Amen.